welcome back, everyone, to yet another episode of Going for Two, presented by Home Field Apparel. I am your host, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, Matt Brown. I'm joined, to get, uh, joined today, as always, by my colleague, Brian Fisher. Brian, it's good to see your face. It's good to be back. Uh, it's, it's good to see your face again. Nicely, nicely rested and, and uh, relaxed, I'm sure, after all your, your long travels uh, from, from the state of Arizona. Not, not too much sun, though. I, I noticed that. Uh, it's not like you're, you picked up a sunburn or anything. So oh, but, uh, welcome, welcome back. Well, I'm glad to hear that because uh, two days ago, I definitely was pretty burnt. <laughs> that just means that the, uh, the, um, the, the, the skin care regimen, I guess, has, has worked a little bit. I, I, had, I had forgotten. Because uh, I haven't been out there in the in the winter in a long time, and even I mean, I mean you're just like, well, I'm going to be inside a lot. I'm going to be in a car. It's probably not that big of a deal. No, um, even even if you are ambiguously ethnic like I am, my 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 skin is still configured to Midwest sun. Desert sun is at a higher resolution. You need to wear the sunscreen. Good good advice for everybody. It, it is, but a, a great time to visit Arizona. You know, usually oh, yeah. March Madness is always there, you know, and kind of in, in this time frame, you always had the, you know, football championships and, and various times to, to go out there. And so it's, I feel like I, the only time I really want to go out to, to the desert and, and go out to Arizona is, is during the winter. So yeah, uh, yeah I, I totally understand what, you, what you're saying, but uh, the, the, at least the weather outside was a little bit better for you. It was, it was, it was wonderful. I mean, I think we talked about this before. I don't, I had literally only ever been there in the summer because that's when I taught. Uh, that's when I, I ran Teacher America Institute. That's when I, I taught uh, first grade. And I remember like my very first day there, like, you know, got off the plane. I'm like, all right, it's probably eight o'clock. I can probably go running. And like, there were like, no, there were buzzards following me here, man. And like, granted, like, you know, that was, that was over a decade ago. I was, I was 45, 50 pounds ago. I was, I was, I was, my metabolism was different. It was easier for me to, to, to go drop five miles. Like it wasn't a big deal. Um, yeah, this, this 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 is much better. But I'm really glad I got to go. It wasn't just so I can go get vitamin D and and re- be reminded that the sun exists. I, I was there at a at Grand Canyon University most of the last uh, couple of days. Um, no, no, no. I'm I'm gonna stop you right there though. You mentioned your your Teach for America tenure there. I, I'm yeah. I'm just curious. What was what was Matt Brown the teacher like? But uh, before we get into your your trip to the desert for okay. Grand Canyon. Go wind us back. Tell us yeah. just a little bit about Matt Brown, the teacher uh, there in Tempe and, and, and thereabouts. Sure. So I, I, I think if we're looking at my education career, there were really two different Matt Brown, the teachers. There was Matt Brown, the teacher in the in South Phoenix, student teacher. So I'm in the classroom with like four other Teach for America people. It's first grade. And honestly, it was awesome. It felt like a gigantic Nick Jr. set. Um, and then there was... Uh, and I was only probably I was probably only teaching for like two hours a day, um, so I, I was I was doing a, a lot of math and beginning reading, and it was I think generally a very positive experience. Then after that, uh, they shipped me to uh, just just outside of New Orleans, and that was Matt Brown, the absolute horrifically terrible teacher, because remember I don't have an education degree, I have a political science degree, and and t- to teach for America's like whole thing was bring a bunch of smart people who studied something that wasn't education and send them to the absolute most challenging districts in the country by virtue of them being smart, they will overcome the achievement gap and and fix education, which is a very attractive message to an idiot 21 year old who needs a job because otherwise he's unemployable as a, as a liberal arts major in the middle of the great recession. Right. But, um, 
I, uh, I was not trained for this. And my, everyone in my district probably had PTSD after Katrina. And I was like one of only two male teachers in our entire building. And I had never, I was teaching older kids. I wasn't prepared. And, and so, yeah, they, they, I was not the teacher that they deserved. Um, a lot of those stories are sad, but I mean, have I told the tetherball story on this, po- on this podcast before? Should, yeah, should, I, quick, should I quickly tell the tetherball story? Absolutely. Okay. I so, love story time. Okay. Let me, let me, let me kind of quickly explain what, what my experience was like as a public educator. So where I was in new Orleans, um, I was teaching fourth grade. And at that time, our, our, my students didn't have a regularly scheduled recess. Like the, the thinking was we, we can't turn, lose classroom instructional time to get to, to close the achievement gap. We, we have to do more uh, math instruction. And it was like, it was late in the year. My class all hated me. I didn't really love them at that point. Like I was homesick and it was, it was a big struggle. I was just thinking, look, what we got to do here is we got to do a culture reset. So we're going to go do recess. We're going to, I'm just going to go take the kids out, outside for 30 minutes and we're going to, we're going to get some of these, these, this, the stress out. Right. And it's, you know, it's, it's warm because it's South Louisiana. So all my male students uh, are running off and they're playing football. This is the year the Saints won the Super Bowl. Everyone has Saints fever, right? And that's great. And then uh, even though they were invited to, the, the girl students typically went a little bit farther down the play, uh, the, the school grounds, play tetherball, right? The, the game with the big stick and the, the ball is tied to it and you kind of bat it around. And I'm sitting there in the middle of the field. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to watch everybody, trying to be the engaged adult. And then, um, but then, uh, but the, my, my, my uh, students playing tetherball are calling me over to that area. And they're like, Mr. Brown. Um, we want you to play tetherball with us because this one student here is the, be- the the tetherball champion here at this elementary school. And it's very important that you face her. And this is the student that I had the biggest personality clash with all the time. And I'm like, you know what? Let's do it. I'm a grown man. I'm a grown <laughs> man and you're a fourth grader. This should be great. And so, right, of course, when was the last time, when was the last time you played tetherball? Uh, probably middle school. I, I don't know. I feel like I, I definitely was awesome in tetherball because I was one of those, those kids that, that could run and jump and, and play tetherball pretty well. So uh, I, I would probably have to go back to those middle school days, but you know, you're, it, it's funny because you mentioned that, you know, working with little kids, I, I did that as part of a high school program as well with, with a lot of um, youth in, in, in our school district and especially during the summer. And yeah. I do feel like maybe, maybe play tetherball then, but uh, I, I don't think it's going to live up to the billing that, that the story does. No, so, so, I, I'm, I, I think it probably was like second or third grade for me. It had been a long time. I'm like, all right, I'm a, a reasonably coordinated adult. Maybe not like you were, but you know, I, I figured I could take a fourth grader. So we're going back and forth. And, you know, at first, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, just to play the game, but then I'm, I'm actually trying. And all of my, uh, my, 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 my other students stopped playing football and they'll gather around. So we got like 28 kids circling this whole thing here. We're going back and forth. And then suddenly off in the distance, I hear someone say, Mr. Brown. So of course, like your teacher mode engages, right? You go and you, you turn around and you go, look at that point, this girl just spikes a tetherball, smashes it as hard as she possibly can, spins around, and I turn around and I just eat this thing, man. I'm talking like Wilson is imprinted on my forehead. I have fallen on my ass back onto the pavement. So, of course, everyone is busting out laughing because what would be funnier than your dopey teacher just getting smashed in the face with the tetherball? And even I'm laughing at this point, too, because like, you know, game, respect, game, like the, I, that you have to you have to appreciate that. Um, so everyone laughs, they break up. Game's over. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe we hit a breakthrough. Maybe, you know, just, just like like other schools have fundraisers where you can, like, throw the teacher nobody likes in the dunk tank and as a way of, like, trying to rebuild the culture. So, like, all right, maybe we can build off this here. I'm willing to take that bullet. And I don't know where this girl got markers. 
But like 10 minutes later, she's down by this tree at the end of the playground and, and she's writing something. She's calling something on this card. And she comes up to me. It's like, Mr. Brown, I, I, I'm sorry about what happened. I made this for you. And at that moment, my heart melts. I'm like, oh my God, it's actually happening. This is a stand and deliver moment. We have, we have, we have broken through all this anger and frustration and yelling. And this girl just demolished me here in public and her heart has been softened. And I was so excited about this. And I open it, the card says in like in like purple marker, it's like, you know, dear Mr. Brown. And I open it up. And it is a picture of me getting smashed with the tetherball, falling on my ass. And it says, get your face out of my way. Um, and I hung up on my on my refrigerator for the rest of my time in New Orleans. <laughs> and at that point, like any modicum of like credibility or authority that I might have been able to project in that classroom uh, was extinguished. And that you know that was the maybe maybe it's time for me to go do something else. So some of the a lot of the stories were sad, but I look at that and think, you know, it's pretty funny. And also, I, I I've joked about this before, but like if that's if that's your job when you're 22. Like what on earth is Urban Meyer going to say to me that's going to like stress me out now? Like, oh my God, chart beats down, slacks down. This is so stressful. Like, I don't know. Did 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 anybody like did a kid attack you today? Did you did you fail to teach children multiplication well enough for them to advance to fifth grade? Did someone tattoo Wilson on your face at work today? No. All right. Boo. Who cares? Like it's like that's that's a good barometer, I think, for how stressful any of this stuff is. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And uh, one of my, one of my good high school friends, she's, she teaches uh, first and second grade and, um, or she just moved up to, to third grade, I believe it is. And uh, some of the stories that she tells, I, I, I tell you what, I, I just kind of shake my head sometimes, but uh, you're right. It's uh, the, the teachers do not make enough because they go through things like that. And uh, there, there's a reason though, that uh, I, we have kind of moved forward to uh, at least where they're, they're a little bit older. Yeah. They might talk back a little bit more. They might, might hurt us a little bit more with their words than, uh, than their physical attributes uh, with other balls. But um, they, there's, there's a reason we're covering college athletics uh, versus I, the, the elementary schools. Right? Like, I mean, like, it, it is such a hard job that I'm like, I'm switching to digital media, which has a better work-life balance and is easier than, than public education. And, like, I I, I think back about that because I'm from a, a teacher family. My mom was a professor and, like, my sister-in-law and my, my biological sister and so many people in my family are teachers. And I miss that. Like, I like teaching. I like talking to college classes. I like working with athletes. I like working with, with, with young people. And honestly, like, I like really early elementary school too, because I'm super corny. And when they're first and second graders, they love that about you. Um, it, it, it was the adults. And I felt like my inability to handle any of the kind of out of the classroom social issue things that but and plus, you know, I was immature at 22. Like I was, I wasn't ready for that kind of responsibility anyway. Uh, that 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 made me want to switch to just telling jokes on the internet. Um, but I I I, th I, th I think about that. I think about that a lot. And, and and one of the cool things about this trip to Grand Canyon is I got a chance to talk to other students and was you know, telling them like, look, if you get a chance to do something that's absolutely going to punch you in the mouth right at the college, like definitely recommend it. And I went from teaching to knocking doors during the Tea Party wave for a Democrat in Indiana. Um, and both of those followed up me knocking on doors, trying to talk to people about Jesus. So like all three of those were great. Like, welcome to real life. Everything sucks. Um, that makes most of this seem pretty easy. Like if you can do that, great idea that, you know, I mean, what other podcast has such a diversity of backgrounds that, that they can rely on other than going for two right here? <laughs> that's, yeah, that, that, that's, that's right. I don't, I don't think anyone listening to this is like, I, I hope Matt tells submission stories. Cause like that's that those, those are all, those are all stupid, but I'm, I'm, we'll I'm, save those for the summer. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, so the, the reason I went out, besides trying to go get this this trip down memory lane, uh, go to In and Out, eat, get some sunshine. Um, the, the big reason was to spend some time at, uh, with Grand Canyon, which is is uh, one of the more unique institutions, not just in Division One, but I think in higher ed completely. And uh, you've been you've been doing this for a while. Like I know it's not a, a college football school, but like, do you, what, what what do you know about about GCU? You're uh, you spent some time out west. I, I mean, I, I think even just separating GCU and itself, it, the state of Arizona has one of the more fascinating kind of higher ed mixes. I, I guess you could say you, you have yeah. ASU, obviously one of the high, you know, I think they're either the biggest or one of the three biggest uh, colleges, you know, in, in, in the entire country in terms of yeah. the undergrad student population, they've really expanded under Michael Crow. I know we've talked about him on this podcast in relation to the PAC 12 and some of the college athletic stuff, but ASU has made a big priority in terms of online education, which is obviously something that GCU is in uh, as well. And then you have, you know, Arizona, more of a traditional institute, um, you know, of, of higher learning. If you if you want to go down those roads in terms of, you know, this pretty traditional, uh, but they, they've also, um, you know, added some some campuses. They, they've done a lot of transformational stuff as well these last couple of years, uh, especially under their new their uh, recently new president, um, yeah, Robin. So you have the, the kind of two big flagship schools in the state and then you have GCU, which is obviously a for-profit institution and the uniqueness that kind of comes comes with that and and the really turnaround the last what decade it is um you know the gcu has kind of had this transformation going on from um really kind of the the i don't know how, how you would even describe their origins i i, I guess you would know better than than most because you were you're talking with their president but uh, it's just a unique story and a unique transition that's occurred there really all the way from you know kind of nothing into a division one uh, almost powerhouse now uh, when, when you look at what they've been doing in, in the WAC. Yeah. So, I mean, for, for people, you're, you're, you're on the money here and you're, you're right. Arizona is very unique that way. Like yeah, Arizona state's enrollment is roughly the size of like a small Caribbean country. Um, University of Arizona last year, I want to say bought an online school too. Like they're trying to get into that space. I don't know as much about NAU, but it's, it's kind of rare for a really big state to only have three schools. Like there's not really a, a, bunch, a huge private school sector in, in Arizona. Um, I mean, I, I'll stop you there too. Yeah. In Arizona, there's a huge JUCO emphasis, you know, especially on the athletic sure. side, which is sure. what we, and, and the, uh, the league itself, you know, I think uh, uh, either last year or the year before, you know, kind of was, was making moves to kind of shut down as well. So there was a lot of, you know, higher ed uh, discussion in terms of the JUCO system in Arizona and, and some of the Western leagues um, kind of shutting down. So it's like a very unique mix. And then you're right. There, there's two flagship institutions in a state that's really growing rapidly right a lot of people moving into arizona you know a lot of growth that, that that's happening and so you, know, you do have those kind of unique institutions that, that are involved uh, not just you know kind of asu and ua but um you know really the entire state has it as a unique opportunity right now um given given the growth opportunities ahead yeah so on, on that note speaking of growth which takes us to grand canyon so grand canyon started as a religious like naia school um, and was really small. I mean, they, they played college baseball. They were successful athletically at a couple of other things. But really, like a lot of other small, religiously oriented NAIA institutions throughout the country, they struggled with enrollment and they struggled financially. And we got to the point here, and and you know, correct, please. Like I, I'm going, I'm going to butcher the exact years here, but it wasn't that long ago, you know, 15, 20 years ago, where it was. They looked like they were going to go under. Um, and they looked at a couple of different ways so they might be able to potentially raise the capital needed to pull themselves out of this. And they did something unique and they uh, they let themselves become a for profit institution and take on some actual corporate investors. And those investors really pushed GCU's online education. But 
They also did a, a, a huge building spree on campus. And a lot of schools do online education. And now, like you were mentioning, not ASU, Penn State, uh, a bunch of other more you know, traditional universities enroll a bunch of people online. So they were, Grand Canyon was also like, what can we do to build more dorms? What can we do to build a, a, a more, a better in-person experience? How can we differentiate ourselves from the gajillion other online schools? And, and it took off. Now that's, they've got like 20,000 people on campus. Um, there's, it's just construction everywhere. Um, there's, there's a bajillion dorms. The athletic facilities are not just good for a WAC school. They are capital G good. So like I went to a college baseball game there. Every seat was full at opening pitch over 5,000 seats. It looked like a double a baseball game. It was definitely louder. And, and like anything you'd see in the big 10, um, and, and, or anything you would see at most Northern, uh, institutions and not even a lot of Western ones, right? The basketball arena, every single seat was full. Now the school has transitioned back to being a nonprofit. Um, uh, the IRS thinks so. The state of Arizona thinks so. Just the Department of Education doesn't think so. And you know that's something we, uh, we if you go on Collegiate Sports Connect, you can kind of hear my conversation with their university president talk about. But the idea of like raising that capital that way and then trying to transition back is something nobody else in Division One's really done. It raised uh, a lot of wrinkles, I think, within the Pac-12 and some other. Uh, university communities that were like, this, this This school is an affront to everything that higher ed stands for, and others that don't care. And at this point, now, they, I, I think it's fair to say they've, they've assimilated a lot more. So I went out to learn not just about that transition, but also to talk about and learn more about how they get so many people to show up to these games. Because I, I think the, the one of the other more recognizable things about the school isn't just, hey, they used to be a for-profit, uh, they used to be broke, then they got corporate money, and now they're a, a big school in a big state. It's um, that you can get thousands of students to come to a college baseball game against Nevada. And then when you come in there and you have people camping out to get basketball tickets four days in advance to play New Mexico State, and then you have a thousand plus student section that is loud and doing visual stunts and and making an arena that is louder than almost anywhere else in the country not like for a whack school not for a mid-major like i know i've been to a lot of ohio state basketball games and the in-person experience that i saw at new mexico state grand canyon was unquestionably better it was unquestionably louder and red panda was there like it, 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 it was this big thing and schools from across the country will come to talk to their AD and talk to their, their administrators and figure out how do you do this? And it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm writing it up here later this week on extra points. That's why I was there to try to figure out how, um, I'm going to spoil the story. It's not just something you can do by giving away a couple of t-shirts and, and some free food. Although that's, that's always a good, a good thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's also interesting too. You mentioned kind of the, the transition. I mean, you go back a couple of years, I mean, ASU in particular, Michael Crow had it out for GCU, right? There was a lot of war awards uh, oh, between yeah. him and, and the school president who you talk with, uh, Brian Mueller. Uh, I, I mean, you look at uh, when they were moving up to kind of division one and there was, a, you know, really a lot of the PAC 12 schools said, we're not going to play grand Canyon. We're, we're just not going to do it. We're not going to give in. And they've since softened that stance, you know, as you mentioned, kind of the transition as they've uh, gone through some reform lately, but um, it, it's also fascinating to see if you go back into the school itself, you know, and, and look at this has been occurring very differently from say the university of Phoenix, which is obviously probably the even more well-known probably nationally. Yeah. Um, they, you know, they came from. Their name was on the stadium, you know, at, at uh, the Arizona Cardinals stadium, you know, you, you heard the Super Bowl was played there. So there was a lot of kind of marketing emphasis on online degrees from the University of Phoenix and Granny Canyon 
kind of was, was off to the side, you know, I think, but uh, you know, more of the lesser well-known, but uh, they, they've made this transition and it has been fascinating, especially from an athletic standpoint to kind of follow along and see how they've built things up. Um, you know, you know, I think you can kind of see some parallels certainly with um, you know, Liberty on the, on the other, you know, the other coast in terms of what they've been trying to do. Obviously a lot is different from uh, GCU to, to, to Liberty in terms yeah, of, we can, we can, we can talk about that real quick, actually, because this, this was something I brought up. Um, I was like, you, and because um, I'm with you, right? Like, hey, what's a, a traditional, uh, you know, brick and mortar faith based institution um, financially struggling, recapitalizes things in part to online education, then tries to be something different. And, and you has athletics as a big part of that. I think if that's the story, there's some there's some there's some similarities between Liberty and GCU. The, one of the biggest differences, and when I, I I made that comparison, and like every GCU person I talked to was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's make one thing very clear here. There's um, no Falwell on campus. There is no Jerry Falwell Jr. on campus. And there, uh, while Grand Canyon is explicitly a Christian institution, it is not like Liberty or BYU or Lipscomb or, or most, or, or even Baylor for that matter. Like one, there's no ecclesiastical endorsement or like specific doctrine of faith that anybody has to agree to. The big weekly chapel is optional and it's interdenominational. Um, and uh, I mean, like you, when, you, when you, you walk in there right in front of the arena, you see three crosses, but there's no church on campus. Um, people come in and go off campus to a, a bunch of different things, right? So it is it is a much more, um, I don't want to say liberal, that's not really the right word, but it, it, it's more open uh, and less ideologically and ecclesiastically rigid than almost any other school. And that's by design, because I, 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 as I understand this, this is supposed to be a populist institution. It's not one that's supposed to have a 12% acceptance rate. It's not one that's supposed to be very expensive. It's not one that's supposed to be limited to just trying to churn out Southern Baptists or Lutherans or Mormons. It's um, a Christian informed uh, education like for everybody, which is not the mission for SMU or BYU or these other places, right? Like that's, they are very, they, they go out of their way to make that clear, I think. Yeah. And, and there's kind of a lack of that, especially at West, you know, I mean, obviously there's, there's, there's BYU, um, you know, there's, there's institutions like Cal Lutheran and, and others, you know, kind of yeah. around the West, but there's not a whole lot of them compared to say Texas or, you know, kind of further down the South, obviously there's demographic reasons, there's historical reasons for that, but um, you know, it, it kind of occupies this unique space, right. Um, you know, and, and you mentioned the, the, the campus aspect, you know, I think that that's really an important part of GCU's story. I mean, you were there, maybe you can give the, the listeners some insight in terms of actually where where campus is and, and how, how that relates to everything, because I think that is, um, you know, definitely a part of their story in terms yeah. of what they've been doing lately, not just those athletic facilities, but uh, as you mentioned, the university facilities as well. It's blowing up. Right. And, and, you know, for one, like Phoenix itself is also yeah. blowing up, right. It, yeah. like, fifth biggest city. It's, it's, it's enormous. It's very sprawly. GCU's campus is in a part of Phoenix that um, I understand was not the nicest uh, recently. And GCU like also kind of, made this very clear we want to be a neighborhood partner we want to like help neighborhood schools and neighborhood property values and like do things in our part of town which was underdeveloped but it's not just an online school there's dorms everywhere um and, and it's a mostly residential campus one of the things that was kind of weird or not weird but but that i haven't expected i don't see that much right when you come in there um kind of around the periphery of the campus is a bunch of parking garages and you can't bring your car in there's not really parking lots at individual classroom buildings or even some of the athletic facilities, like other than like a, a minimal area here for like trucks, deliveries and stuff like that. Um, 
you park your car, you go check in with the security when you come in there, and it's a walking campus. And and this is, I was told, in part by design because it's trying to build community. Um, and and you, you you do that by actually being around other people and walking everywhere. Or at GCU, God, I've never seen so many skateboards in my life, man. There were it, there were so so many scooters, so many, and like you know, like other places have like bike racks. That just I, I've never seen a skateboard rack before because people can't do that in Chicago on account of the ice and that it sucks like to be outside and and that and that's everywhere. Um, and you 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 see that where. Everyone's skateboarding. Everyone's in, in kind of close proximity um, with these gigantic athletic facilities. Um, not just in terms of like gigantic and seating capacity, but everything is new and modern. It feels like there's maybe four buildings on campus that are still there from the '70s, and it looks like everything else came up after 2012. And to be fair, I think Arizona State's pretty similar to that, um, and a lot of other places in Phoenix. I, I joked that the campus. And this isn't an insult, although I understand how it would sound like it was. The campus felt like a gigantic Panera bread, uh, just because like that's kind of what it looks like visually, and that's where it, all of the buildings are coming up there. But they're like, I mean, that's not that's not a GCU thing. That's just like that's half of Phoenix. That's half the Southwest is yeah. has that kind of architecture, and it's all very very modern. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I do, and and, it, and it's fascinating too. You know, kind of thinking about this this transition that they're going through. Um, you know, really making sure that on campus life is a priority kind of reminds me a little bit going back. Uh, you know, a couple maybe even a couple decades um, to schools like Houston and how they've you yeah. know, previously known as a commuter campus, right? And, and and a commuter school, very kind of derogatory, especially from some of their regional rivals. And then they they slowly over the years tried to change that, not just, you know, building dorms and, and bringing people on campus for, for more uh, of a regular student life, but it comes with, you know, on-field football stadiums. It comes with, you know, uh, making sure you have athletic facilities, dining halls, you know, kind of the entire gamut of bringing that, that community back onto campus and, and expanding campus's size. And, um, you know, that, that is a huge part of what a lot of schools are kind of in the process of doing and, you know, Grand Canyon using athletics to, to help facilitate that, I think is, is obviously what, uh, what you're focusing on, what you're writing about and, and something that I think a lot of schools also, um, you know, are kind of interested in, you know, how can we use athletics to uh, be that front porch of the university, Grand Canyon, very successfully um, and, and very publicly you know doing that as well yeah it, it, it is a major issue across like probably half of division one at, at, at this point right um and honestly i think I, I think real real success stories of schools evolving from commuter status to predominantly non-commuter status are pretty rare um houston and ucf and cincinnati i think would, would fall under that, that that camp but while athletic success has been part of that they also spent a gajillion dollars on campus construction um, and, and had to do student fees and didn't really keep tuition super down. And like there was a lot of investments. And for every one of those schools where it works, we also have Georgia States where they're trying to do that. It, it hasn't happened yet, at least athletically. And a bunch of other, I mean, that's, that's like half the Horizon League. That's, that's, a, that's a lot of one AAA. And th this this is this is an issue because not everybody has access to the capital of, you know, millions of dollars to to start propping up a ton of dorms or or, or the geographic space to do that right like in Phoenix you can't because real estate's not that expensive and because they're in a more dilapidated neighborhood they could buy up housing stock 
and, and convert it. It was, it was a weird thing walking through this, like the campus. Cause there's a couple of these old ranch houses that are like, there's no way in hell I'm selling. So like new dorm, new dorm, big student rec center. And there's like a ranch house with like barbed wire, like no trespassing around it. And like, all right. So that guy didn't want to do anything. You can't do that in like Manhattan, like American university can't do that in, in DC or many of these other big state schools can't. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's why this is interesting, right? Because these are these are issues that there's a good chance your favorite school or one of the conference mates of your favorite school is grappling with right now. And you can't follow the Grand Canyon playbook, just like you can't follow the UCF playbook. Like UCF playbook, step one, be in Orlando. Step two, spend a gajillion dollars. Step three, grow enrollment to 60,000. Step four, win a national championship. Well, if it's that easy, everybody would do it, but like not, not everybody can, um, or, you know, or, or did, I guess, depending on, on your definition of national championship. But, well, I mean, even, even yeah. ASU, you know, in particular, yeah. how their kind of model has evolved over the couple, last couple of years, you know, used to be where they kind of branched out, had those, those sub campuses kind of in the suburbs and, and, the, and they still do obviously, but yeah. you know, they kind of brought back investment in term, in terms of, you know, the, the core campus itself, you know, a lot of schools are doing that. You know, you had those branches that were you know, here and there, you know, obviously the Texas A&M system, just look at how many, you know, separate branches, you know, are kind of around the, you know, kind of South Texas, you know, there's, there's Kingsville, there's Galveston, there's, you know, various, uh, you know, kind of branches there's, you know, and, and even the same cities, you know, you, University of Houston, like you had those small kind of sub campuses, you know, all over the place. And now it's kind of being brought back into the kind of one core unit, um, which I, I find fascinating. I think, I think it kind of mirrors uh, the demographic changes you're seeing in, in the country itself, maybe a two or three decade uh, lag uh, compared to what what has been happening. But uh, you kind of have that reurbanization and a lot of these campuses, you mentioned the Horizon League in, in particular, a lot of those campuses that are located in some somewhat major cities, you know, kind of going back into the core and, and, and trying to do what they can. Um, you know, some of them are some of them are finding it tough to certainly invest and, and find the room to grow. Um, yeah. I think there's there's a reason why I think a lot of these uh, college athletics leaders and, and college uh, um, you know, administrators, you know, buy into the, the, the theory that they need a master plan, if nothing else for space, you know, I mean, I was talking with a couple FBS ADs just in terms of what, what, are, you know, what goes into your master plan um, for, for something else. And, and they were like, well, you know, like w w the space is, is the biggest thing, right. You know, on campus space, you know, whether it's de demolishing buildings and, and, you know, rebuilding over them, whether it's acquiring land. I mean, a lot of these schools are just landlocked. And, yeah. Park, well, parking is a whole different issue. Like if you've ever worked on a university campus or, you know, a university campus, I mean, parking is like not only a big moneymaker for a lot of these schools, but like that kind of like drives a lot of what happens on campus um, in terms of like the, the bureaucracy and whatnot. I guess, I'm sure you're right we, we can't overstate what a big deal that is. To, I mean, to if you ever want to take a university like uh, like their their budget for the year, you know, go in there. There's a reason why the parking like subsystem or whatever, you know, however, however they organize parking in their university. There's a reason why it's like broken out by itself because they know that is a big, big time moneymaker, not just for, for your football Saturdays or whatnot, like on a daily basis for professors, for students, for, you know, people just working at schools. I mean, you look at uh, just, uh, I was talking with somebody at USC, obviously they're the biggest private employer in Los Angeles. They have a ton of parking space in prime real estate, downtown uh, Los Angeles and, and at their medical facility on the, on the Northern side of downtown. So, you know, it, it, it's funny because that is just such a, a part of, you, you wouldn't think about it being a big part of university life, but parking is, is a huge thing. And that's something a lot of, you know, athletics folks have to have to take in mind as well. When you're, uh, you know, you it's, it's not like you're just a college town and, uh, you know, you can build a parking lot out in the middle of a field, you know, for a lot of those that are in urban campuses, 
it's something you have to consider. Uh, and, and Grand Canyon, obviously, with those parking garages and, and their unique setup there in, in, in Phoenix, um, obviously have to. <laughs> yeah, everybody right now needs to figure out how to maximize their revenue, how to find a couple more quarters and nickels and dimes in the couch cushions or in the parking meters uh, to facilitate whatever kind of capital uh, growth that are, you know, or facilities growth that, that, that you want to have. Another thing you can do if you manage to save some of that money is buy more stuff at Home Field Apparel, uh, our title sponsor, our, our one of our our, our, be, our closest fr brand friends here in this industry. Home Field Apparel, of course, makes the most comfortable, unique, interesting, officially licensed collegiate apparel. Uh, my hoodie, which I basically almost always wear at this point because it is freezing in this basement. Uh, do I see a golfing dog? A golfing Georgia dog, yes. Hang on a second. Speaking of dogs, I'm going to move Big fan of the, the George dog. Is, you know, there, there we go. Yeah, listen, we're all, we're all about good dogs here. Uh, no, dogs. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing home field layers. Um, and and I, I paid for those with real American currency uh, that I did not get from home field apparel because I I believe in what I'm selling here, folks. And what I'm selling to you are, are home field shirts, home field hoodies, home field sweatpants. Brian, did you happen to see who the most recent school that home field added? I believe that would be Illinois. It, it would be Illinois. Uh, and that was what this was what I was saving the money for. I feel like I was teasing this for four different weeks. Uh, I'm not really an Illinois fan, but I do definitely live in Illinois country. And I, I feel like when in Rome, uh, I, might wanna, I don't want to buy Northwestern stuff. So I should do as the Romans do, and I should go buy uh, some Illinois things. So I, I, I will be ordering the, the is a wonderful blue and white collection. I mean, excuse me, not blue and white, blue and orange. Blue, um, blue and white would be extra points. Um, they just added South Carolina. They just added Gonzaga. This coming week, they're adding Villanova, uh, continuing our basketball-centric theme. We have a couple of big Pac-12 schools, I think, still left on that list for this season. Um, so if you want to go grab some of those excellent clothes with cool vintage old-timey logos or dogs playing sports or dogs looking angry, uh, pensive, I don't know. I don't know. What, I don't know what's going on with this husky on my chest right now, but... Uh, it's a good dog, nonetheless. Anyway, uh, use promo code Extra Points at checkout to save fifteen percent off your first order. Um, if you haven't bought a home field thing by now, what on earth are you waiting for? Literally, everybody else that you know has bought home field stuff. And gee, come on, you, you don't you don't want to be the last person. Imagine going to a, a tailgate and everyone else is wearing a cool red home field shirt, and you're wearing something you got from Target, like some kind of dad. Don't do that. Get the home field stuff. Um, I don't have a good segue for leaving the ad read. I gotta get I gotta get better about that. But <laughs> I mean the, the transition transition in was was good enough. So I think that makes up for it. So I, yeah, I, I feel I feel like I gotta get us into the ditch. I never was very good at, at getting us out of it. But um, we, we there was a, there was a conference realignment development that we wanted to talk about briefly here, right? I, there was because I, I mentioned it as, as before we started recording was was the OVC and the, and the Big South tie up because I know you've you've talked with both their commissioners and, and have something coming uh, on extra points uh, on Wednesday I believe yeah that 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 is the plan so if you missed this which uh, I mean I, I can't understand how you possibly could have it's the, it's the biggest news of the day but if, just in case you had missed it uh, the Ohio Valley Conference and the Big South Conference announced Tuesday afternoon that they are forming a partnership of sorts to consolidate their football leagues into one auto bid. It will be for a minimum of the next four years. Um, and, and a big reason for this is, you know, both these leagues 
are really kind of treading water right now around the, the minimum number of institutions needed to qualify for an FCS auto bid. Uh, both of these leagues could potentially add or lose more members. I mean, today I think it's official that Lindenwood, a Division II institution, is moving up to join the OVC. A couple of current OVC institutions have been rumored to be interested in the A-Sun, uh, potentially the SWAC, a couple other places. Um, we, we see this with the Big South as well. So by, by joining forces, what now? You don't have to reach on a school. It doesn't really make sense for you just to get to six. And now you have some stability in case somebody else enters or leaves over the next couple of years. Um, it, 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 it also provides a sense of stability for future scheduling. Um, real FCS football heads might remember that the OVC also signed a scheduling agreement with the Southland uh, to where all of those teams are going to play out of conference. Uh, the OVC told me they, they intend to still honor those arrangements. So we'll still have that for the next two years. Uh, and then this. So I, I think that's exciting in that it means that, um, you know, I, I don't think we're going to see any, any schools from these leagues cast off, unable to, to have access to the football postseason, which is a positive, or reaching a, on a school that isn't ready to compete at the Division One level, which I think is a positive. Um, the league should be okay. I, I think at football, there's there's some room to grow, particularly, I think, on the Big South side. But there's a bunch of questions that haven't been answered yet. Like, what are we going to call this league? We don't know. Uh, who's going to be the commissioner of the league? We don't know. Uh, what's the league? Is it going to be an ace? Uh, is it going to be an OVC thing, a Big South thing, a completely new, like independent thing, like the Missouri Valley Football Conference? We don't know. Uh, is it going to involve uh, scheduling, uh, formalized scheduling agreements and other sports between the two leagues? We don't know. Well, hopefully, we'll find out soon. But in, in the short term, I think this is a stabilizing force which is, I, I think, a positive because half of FCS right now is going through some major realignment shakeups. And anything that 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 allows schools to catch their breath and be a little bit more, uh, do more due diligence before making a big decision, I think that's going to lead to better outcomes. Well, I, I'm, I'm just kind of curious, is, is this going to be the first of many things, you know, especially given the change, you know, the fact that timing, too, is is interesting to me, just given the fact that we're in this massive Division One reorganization, we don't know exactly what membership requirements are going to be. So the fact that they've announced this is, is a little bit, you know, eyebrow raising to me. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms this, happened, this happened quick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like there is, I, I think I got you know, first caught wind on, on something happening like a, a couple of weeks ago. You probably know, know folks a little, a little bit more, but the fact that this was, was announced today um, on, on um, two twenty two, you know, was, was a bit uh, just eyebrow raising in terms of, you know, what, why are you guys doing this now instead of waiting, you know, two, three months in terms of getting a more of a sense in terms of what division one, what FCS is going to be, um, you know, in the future. I know there's still a lot of talk about, you know, a potential third, um, you know, subdivision of, of division one itself. So, um, you know, you kind of got to, got to be interested to see how the big South and OVC are going to navigate it at least you know as, as you mentioned there is a little bit of overlap in terms of, especially the, the, the eastern edge uh, of that ovc that can play you know some of the, those schools uh you know in, in the big south pretty easily you know there's there's not uh, some onerous travel cost to, you know, associated with this like maybe there was with with the southland um you know i think but uh, for the most part you know I'm, I'm pretty intrigued just in terms of how this kind of is going to evolve you know will we see this in in other sports you know could this uh you know concept exist for you know men's volleyball or something like that in in yeah. The, the greater Midwest region. You know, I think that's, you know, something the, certainly on the West coast, the, the MPFC has, has done a little bit in terms of some of those Olympic sports, um, you know, to, to ensure that they get those auto bids to the NCAA tournament, which is kind of what it's all about uh, below the FBS level. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I asked about that actually. Like I, I can tell you that um, based on my reporting and based on what I've been hearing, 
this was not the first league the Ohio Valley Conference talked about potentially joining forces with. There were some some level of conversations, as I as, as I understand it, with the Southland. I know that there were more conversations with the A Sun. Um, the fact that this happened really quickly, I think, one speaks to the fact that uh, leadership of both these leagues actually trust each other. Like they, they trust each other. That's right. And the, and the presidents of those areas trust each other. And so, if you have that that pre-existing relationship you can you can agree on the on the biggest things quicker than if, if you're coming in cold or with, with new leadership um what, what happens to other sports this is a good question the the one of there's a major incentive right now to not do this if you can control an automatic bid to a tournament um championship access is like the number one biggest thing for mid and low majors for every sport if there are a, a situation where Maybe not every league gets an automatic bid to the men's and women's tournament anymore, which I, I don't know if, if you've heard this, Brian. That's something I've heard AD say is a possibility after the, the, the transformation committee is done. Then that might create incentives to consolidate some conferences to, to lower overhead costs, lower travel without diminishing your access to the championship events. Um, if that's the case for baseball or softball or other sports, you, you, may, you may have those opportunities there as well. Um, I think there is an incentive to get this done as quickly as possible. If you want to project stability to try to keep any other school from leaving. Remember that the OVC is on the expansion hunt right now. And also we saw Eddie George, the at Tennessee state, like say like, I think one or two days ago, like, Hey, our conference is dying and we would be interested in being in a different league. Now, Eddie doesn't get a vote on these things, but I'm guessing he didn't say that without having some kind of conversations with somebody else in his department. So the longer that you go without a definitive um, vision for your league in public, allowing idiots like me or or other people to speculate as to your future, that's going to make it harder for you to recruit anybody, right? Just like, hey, if you're a company trying to hire and you don't have a vision that you can sell that says we're going to be in business in six months, it's going to be hard to hire anybody, right? Unless you just drop the bag on them, which you probably can't do. So I look at this as, sure, we don't know what, what Division One is going to look like in May, but if you don't do something quick, you might not have a chance to worry about it in May. So you have to do this, and I think it's probably still the best policy uh, that could have been done for member schools in each league. Um, we'll see how, you know, we'll see what the membership actually ends up looking like in a year. I, I, there's a some schools in new england that might end up being a part of this like bryant might end up being in this league when, when the dust kind of settles i don't know uh what hbcus will end up being in it or not so i can't say how good it's going to be but it's 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 makes sense to do this i think than waiting another month or two yeah i mean you mentioned stability that that's the key factor whether you're at the fbs level i mean look at, at kind of the moves that the big 12 has done to kind of solidify itself you know in, in the landscape and and how um you know there's there's a lot of questions over their future and where those schools would go but now that they they truly have a home you know there's they're a little bit more settled you know i think that that extends all the way down to the fcs level you know in terms of we we need to make sure that not only are, are we on the boat but uh, that that boat is not sinking that we're you know we're in the right place uh, in terms of you know who's around us you know what we can do and you yeah. know the travel cost as well i mean and I think that that's a huge thing. We the, the multi-sport conferences that, that we see, and maybe we will see an increased rise in the single sport conferences. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of that personally. I think it makes a lot of sense in baseball and in other sports, you know, just because a lot of the, especially the FCS programs, you know, you're not sponsoring as many sports. So sometimes you have some unique fits that simply increase your travel costs. And when you can 
kind of make sure that you are geographically centered. I think it's good for the athletes in terms of their time demands, especially at the FCS level where they're not playing, let's face it, you know, massive, you know, in front of massive crowds or massive stadiums. There's not, you know, massive NIL deals. It really is more about the sport, more about going to school there. I, I think it would just make a lot more sense, um, you know, to kind of have that better institutional fit, better geographic fit. Um, and, and so we'll see ultimately that kind of becomes more of a thing, but I, I think that you're going to see a little of more moves like this um, from the OVC in the Big South over the next couple of, couple of months, couple of weeks, uh, as we kind of get settled uh, around Division One itself as well. I, I, I to kind of put a bow on this, I, I think I would say that where we have situations where conferences and university presidents have enough of a relationship and enough trust to be able to have a conversation that may require them to have to give up some ego, and if they have a chance to maybe engage in this kind of thing and retreat with dignity. It could definitely happen because you're exactly right. There's a lot of financial reasons and a lot of, of student uh, outcome and student health reasons to do this kind of thing. But to maybe uh, decrease the number of sports your league sponsors or give up some power over a particular institution or lose some prestige is a difficult thing. And you're not going to do that if you think the other person on the negotiating table is a real son of a bitch um, or, 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 or that is like secretly trying to nuke your conference from the inside or something, right? So where those opportunities exist, we, 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 we very much may see it. This will be a good thing for us to talk about with the guests we have next week. Um, I, I very quickly alluded to it. I've mentioned it here on Extra Points before, but in case you didn't know, Lindenwood University, Division II school uh, in St. Louis area is announcing today, Wednesday, that they are joining Division I. Um, they're going to join the Ohio Valley Conference. We're going to have their athletic director on next week. Uh, Lindenwood sponsors a gajillion sports. They have an athletic department that's like, in terms of like sports sponsorship, it's like the size of a Big Ten school, which you don't normally see at the one AAA FCS-ish kind of level. So those are kind of things I think we'll talk about, about how you fit the travel. Because the, the, the OVC doesn't have all of their sports. Um, you know, they, they have women's hockey They're already competing at the division one level. And that's not something that we really see a whole lot of in Kentucky. Um, so you already got to kind of slip yourself uh, somewhere else. I'm guessing that that school may have some unique perspective on navigating those issues moving forward. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about, especially, you know, a lot of these schools moving around in the feasibility studies that they they have to you know, go through and commission uh, to figure out a lot of these moves. A lot of it is about, you know, those non-revenue sports, those those Olympic sports where how does my 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 team fit into this conference? You know, how, how do the travel costs play out? And, um, you know, I think it's going to be great to get some insight in terms of what that transition is going to be like, because yeah. there's, there's another one just up the, you know, up the road uh, as well with Southern Indiana that's also making the move and making the jump. So. Sure. Um, a lot of schools are getting on the D1 train, and even though uh, they don't quite know exactly how the ship is, is going to be all put together uh, come come the summer, I, I think it's it's uh, everybody trying to get on board now uh, and and starting that process now because they just don't know ultimately what what the barrier for entry is going to be uh, down the road. Yeah, so Southern Indiana, open invitation. You can come on going for two two. It's not it's not just limited to your conference peers, right? On the off chance that you're listening to this. Uh, Brian, we had a couple of things we wanted to talk about. We've been we've been ripping now for over 45 minutes, so I, I think we might have to save that one here for another episode. Um, we have, I think, some exciting stuff coming up on Extra Points and going for two in the immediate future. You know, this, So we're recording this on a Tuesday. You'll be able to listen to it on a Wednesday. We've got the stuff here about the Big South and the OVC. We've got uh, a much longer story coming up here about uh, about Grand Canyon and about how they're able to actually you know, make this work. We had a cool story earlier this week with Andy Wittry. Well, we made up a game to figure out, hey, is this a real job title in college football or do we make it up? And it's super hard. 
because there's some absolute bananagrams uh, college football titles right now, particularly with things that have to do with recruiting. Um, they, you know, as that you would not find on LinkedIn anywhere else. We've got some conference realignment stories coming. We have a sit down with somebody who made a tabletop college football recruiting game called Envelopes of uh, Envelopes of Cash, right? Which I think is uh, fits exactly within the I, again. Say this with love. Gigantic dork audience within going for two. I love you all. Um, you would you could destroy me in Settlers of Catan, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. So I'm I'm excited about this week, and not just because I finally got to see the sun and and have a good hamburger for for once in my life. Like we we got some cool things coming. I hope you stick around and uh, and do and follow along with us. Absolutely, and a lot coming on Dew and Ticker as well. If if you uh, sign up for that newsletter, you can get all the all the videos and stuff that we do as well. Collegiate Sports Connect, another great place. Uh, you mentioned job interviews; that's a great place if you want to get into the industry, if you're part of the industry itself, if you're an AD, if you're compliance, if you're marketing, whoever it might be. Uh, we've got some great content for you on Collegiate Sports Connect. So uh, follow us along there. It's uh, in in the show notes if you want to uh, uh, have the sign up link. That's yeah. I mean, like, if you, I, there's a 20 minute interview with Grand Canyon's president that's already up on there completely for free. Uh, I did an interview yesterday about the Conference USA Sun Belt legal battle, which we didn't get, didn't even get a chance to talk to. It's on there. We've got new athletic directors who are talking about their new jobs that are on there. Uh, so you should go, and you should go because that also helps support what we're doing here, which allows us to go buy more things. From home. Uh, also, buy things from home. Uh, folks, that's going to do it here for us. Thanks so much for following along. Matt Brown EP on Twitter.com, ExtrapointsNB.com on the internet. Uh, we will see you online again very soon.